So we, I think you guys would agree with me that we live in a time and in a society and a culture of instant gratification. You can get whatever you want whenever you want it. If you see a thing or, or a person or a relationship that you want, you can pretty much have it whenever you want to. In fact, we, this, this mentality has leaked over into our thinking to this idea that, you know, we, de- we feel that we deserve certain things. Like, I deserve to have that thing, or I deserve to have that person, uh, or I deserve to have that kind of relationship. In fact, any more with just a couple of clicks on your computer or a couple of taps on your phone, you can have anything that your heart desires in 48 hours or less. Am I right? That's just the world that we live in now. We don't even have to wait for anything anymore. But, but in all of this convenience, what's happened is that this has helped in creating kind of a, an unhealthy appetite for things. And this unhealthy appetite for things has, has really changed the way that we think about people. In all actuality, it's really kind of skewed the way that we think about and the way that we see people. And so in a world and a culture that has very much become disposable, you know, we we don't just use and keep things any longer. We use them and then when they're no longer useful to us, we just throw them away. We've done the same thing with people, with relationships. And so when this relationship is no longer convenient for me, I just throw it away because I can go and get another one. You know, in fact, for for some of us, it's, it's just as easy as maybe a couple of swipes right or left on our phone, an instant relationship. And so in this world of instant gratification and and disposable relationships and disposable goods, here's here's what's happened, is that as we've begun to view people as objects instead of as people, now we leave in our wake this swath of emotional and uh, mental destruction. That's why you hear us say every week at First Baptist Church that people matter. And you know why people matter? Not just because it fits really good on a t-shirt and it sounds really good in front of our church. People matter to us because they matter to God first. People are valuable. They have value and they have worth. And so this morning we learn from Jesus both the depth of value that we have to God, but also the depth of value that we are to ascribe one to another. And so this is not what they teach you in preaching class, but the most important thing that you're going to say, I'm going to tell you right now, you are valuable. You need to hear that today. You are valuable. Okay, so Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, we're going to read in, in uh, beginning in verse 27, Jesus uh, addresses an issue again that the Pharisees had looked at one singular part of it, and, and Jesus expounds upon or expands upon that particular part. So let's look at that this morning, Matthew 5, beginning in verse 27. Let me invite you to stand as you're able in the honor of the reading of God's word together. And here uh, is what Jesus says, listen. He says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful desire or lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
If your right hand, or excuse me, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one member, one of your members, than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose lose one of the members than the whole body that goes into hell. So what Jesus is is really framing for us here is the value and importance of people. That they're not objects and they're not subjects. That they are people whom God loves. Let's pray together this morning. Father, uh, it's a challenging passage because you call us to some things that are pretty extreme. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us understanding of what you say today. Father, I pray that above all things that we would hear today that we are valuable to you, that we matter to you, and, and that, that people matter as well. God, I know we live in a world that, that objectifies people all the time. And Father, your word clearly states that that, that is not of you. That is not in line with your word. It is not what your uh, law intends Uh, but yet we do it anyway. And so, God, we pray that you would forgive us in the times that we do that. And, Lord, help us to to grow in such a way as to move beyond that. Uh, Lord, help us as believers who seemingly look more and more like the world than we do you uh, draw our lives to be in line with you, that our lives would reflect the person of Jesus Christ whom we say we follow. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that you you teach us uh, about the value of people, and why that matters to you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Y'all can be seated. So Jesus just again begins here with this phrase that we're going to hear through the remainder of chapter 5. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. And, and really what he's doing here is he's, he's helping us to reframe our, um, our understanding of the value of people. And really what he's getting at here in verses 27 and 28 is simply this. It's is how you see people uh, reveals how we value them. So how we see people or how we look at them is going to determine or reveal the way that we value them. And so Jesus just again reframes this understanding. He did it last week with murder and anger and really gets at the heart of reconciliation. And so what we find is that that as we are reconciled to people, so we will relate to them. And so as we are reconciled to people and as we are relating to them rightly, we will value them in the way that uh, God has set out for us to do. And so what we're learning is that any time that Jesus reframes something or or puts something in a clearer uh, picture of understanding for us, he takes something that is specific and he broadens the scope of it. And so here in verse 27, Jesus just hones in on adultery. And so the disciples knew very clearly what the word of the Lord says. Leviticus 18 speaks very clearly about God's standard for relationships between men and women. And so the Pharisees would would look at this, and he's just expounding again upon uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, where it says, do not commit adultery, and the Pharisees would would hone in on that thing. But what Jesus does is that you guys are looking at the act, and there's so much more behind it than just that. Jesus takes this instance and, and he really broadens the scope and, he, and he, he, he says, look, even if you look at a woman with lustful desire or intent in your heart, he says, you have already committed the act of adultery with her. So look at what Jesus does. We look at adultery and go, man, that is something I would never do. I would never do that. I would never be unfaithful to my spouse. I would 
uh, to my spouse that I currently have or the one that I will have someday. I would never do that. But he, he goes and he broadens the scope of that and he says, look, if you have ever looked at another person with lustful desire, he puts it on the same plane as having committed the act of adultery. Okay? He clarifies for us the original intent of what the law says so as to bring it into clearer focus and understanding for us. And so here's what happens. This is what happened with the Pharisees. And there's a lot of times this is what happens with us. We will put more emphasis on the letter of the law, but we will forsake the spirit of the law. And what Jesus says here is, hey, the letter of the law, yes, important. Spirit of the law, just as important. So it's because if you haven't committed the act in the flesh, but you have in the mind, you've already committed the act. Jesus goes one step further, and he sees adultery as more than just an act or an action. He says adultery itself has to do with the intent and the desires of the heart. And so he says, look, just to look at another person lustfully or with desire is on par with adultery. Jesus says that the, that the acts that are occurring within our mind and within our heart uh, are, are the same as the acts that are carried out in our flesh. And so think about it this way, to, to linger longer in your looking allows your heart and mind to be distracted, but also deceived. And we are deceived to create an altered, an untrue, and an unnecessary form of reality. And so what happens is that now our, our thinking has become skewed to the ways of the world and away from the ways and things of God. And it causes us to put lesser and lesser value on people and greater and greater value on our desire, on ourself. And so what Jesus is teaching us here is that the, he's teaching us the value of people. That people are more than just something to be had. People are more than just someone to be with. They, they are to be loved. That's at the very heart of, of Jesus' ministry. When we think about the people that Jesus hung out with outside of the 12, these would be undesirable people, wouldn't they? Tax collectors, sinners, drunkards, gluttons, prostitutes. I mean, these are not going to get invited to most of our social functions. But Jesus valued those people and he loved them and he loved them well. And so what we're learning simply is this, is that when you look at a person, we need to change the way that we see them. One of the ways that we do that is when we look at a person is we need to see that man or see that woman as someone who has been made in the image of God. Because when we begin to look at people as someone who is made in the image of God, it drastically alters not only how we see them, but how we think about them. Not only how we think about them, but how we interact with them. And so we begin to look at people as image bearers. And here's what happens. When we begin to see people as image bearers, that person becomes valuable. Because they were made in the image and the likeness of God. Just as God's word says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And so when we begin to look at someone as an image bearer, it changes how we see them. And how we value them. But let's take this one step further. Because people are not just those who are made in the image of God. That when we look at someone, think about this. That is a person, that is a man, that is a woman whom, for whom Christ died. 
That radically changes how we see them now, doesn't it? And when we see that person as someone for whom Christ willingly laid his life down on the cross, who willingly surrendered his life as a sacrifice for our sin, for your sin, for that person on your screen's sin, so that we could have a right relationship we get with God, we could, have, um, we could have forgiveness of that sin and be fully restored in our standing before God. So when God looks at that man or that woman, you know what he sees? He sees someone for whom he gave his son's life. Someone for whom Jesus died and someone for whom Jesus can redeem. See, when we begin to look at people as those for whom Christ died, it causes us to ascribe great value to them because of the high price paid for them. And so listen, as we are reconciled to God, here's what happens. It causes us to view and value people the way that God does. When we view people in these ways, when we view people in the ways that God views them, it changes the way that we see them and it changes the way or the value that we give them. Very simply, they matter. They matter as a human being. They're not an object. They are not a subject to rule over. They are a person. And we are to value them as such. They, are, uh, they matter because they are a brother or a sister to someone. They matter because they may be a brother or sister in Christ. They matter because they are an image bearer and they matter because Christ willingly gave his life for them. And so as much as we begin to see people as instruments of God's glory, which is what we are, when you think about where people came in the order of creation, we were the last thing that God made. We are the pinnacle of creation because we are able to relate to a holy God. We are the only part of creation that when God looked upon us, he says, it is very good. And so when we begin to see people as the instruments of God's glory, and, and, and that means we have to stop seeing people as someone who's just merely to be used for our own personal pleasure. See, when we view someone with value, here's what happens. It means that you see them not only with your eyes, but that you see them through a heart that's been transformed by God's grace. Jesus continues in verse 29 and 30, and he says, hey, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Somebody said, are we going to have trash cans available for people today in the aisles? I said, no, we'll let them handle that on their own. A little messy. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Because it's better for you to lose a member of your body than your whole body into hell. And so what Jesus is calling us to here just simply is an honest evaluation. And honest evaluation leads to the proper value of others or the proper value of people. So what Jesus says here is pretty extreme, isn't it? If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. I guess if, if your left eye causes you to sin, you've got to tear that one out too. And your, your left hand can cause you to sin, you've got to cut it. I mean, we'd be walking around with a bunch of, of blind and impotent people around here if we were to take Jesus at his word. But here's the heart of what he says, that drastic changes are necessary for us to acquire a proper view of others. 
And so what Jesus proposes here is extreme. But the intent of what he says here is reasonable. And here's what he's getting at. Whatever that thing is that is causing you to sin, get rid of it in your life. Whatever that thing is leading you to sin, remove it. So Jesus says here, your eye or your hand. Let's contextualize that, okay? Let's, let's bring Jesus' word and, and drop it in 21st century, okay? So if your phone causes you to sin, get rid of it. Some of you are going, no, anything but that. But isn't that the heart of what Jesus says? If your phone causes you to sin, get rid of it. If your TV leads you into sin, get rid of it. If the internet is leading you into sin, cut it off. This is the same intent of what Jesus says here. That whatever it is that is leading you or causing you to sin, get rid of that thing. So if we could just simply turn those things off or remove the things that are causing us to sin then we're going to remove that temptation and grow in our relationship with Christ. Now, here's the thing. You and your mind think, I could never do without my phone or my TV or the internet or whatever it is that is leading you to sin. But the fact of the matter that Jesus calls us to is simply this. We've got to start taking responsibility for our actions. We are the ones who are controlling that. And so by taking responsibility for our actions, here's what's happening. We are putting ourselves in a position for, health, for a healthy relationship with God. And we're putting ourselves in position for a healthy relationship with others. Listen, you have control over the things that seemingly control you. You have control over the things that seemingly control you. And so look at it this way. If that thing, whatever it is, or whoever it is, 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 is not something that is, or someone who is influencing you toward godliness and holiness, Jesus' word applies, put it away. Get rid of that thing. And so really in order for this to begin taking effect in our life, then, then we need to change how we see by what we see. We need to change how we see by what we see. So think about this with me. 90% of the information that is transmitted into your brain is done visually. All right? 90% of the information that's transmitted into your brain is done so visually. Okay? You, are you with me so far? You will process an image 60,000 times faster than you will text. So that means when you see an image, you process that faster and store it longer than you do just words on a page. So just for text, you can process about seven bits of information. So what does seven bits of information look like? It is your phone number without the area code. Okay, How many of you can remember five phone numbers anymore? Yeah, well, we have phones now that do it for us, right? Okay? But think about this. When you see an image, it bypasses your short-term memory. That's where the text information goes, to your short-term memory. That's why we have a hard time remembering those things. The image bypasses your short-term memory, and it embeds itself into your long-term memory for recollection. That's, what, that's why when you remember things, you remember images and not words. Okay? 
And so this is why we're beginning to, this is, this is why we see we've got to change the things that we're looking at so we can change how we are looking at things. And so to change, the, to, to change how we view and value others, that means that we have to change what we are looking at. It's not just removing them, but it's replacing them with healthy images. And so when we change what we see, how we see is then transformed. So when we're putting things of holiness and godliness in our mind, through our eyes, it brings us and leads us through this process of transformation. And so changing how we see and and, and by what we see, it directly impacts what we do. Because when we begin to see people differently, it changes the ways that we interact with them. When we begin to to, uh, see people differently, what I mean by that is when we begin to look at people through the eyes of Jesus, when we begin to see with the eyes of Christ, it significantly alters and impacts how we interact with them. That image becomes a real person, becomes a human being, and therefore we, we treat them as such, no longer as an object to be enjoyed or as a subject to rule over for our use, but as someone who is made in the image of God, who, has been, uh, who, who is the recipient of Christ's death. And so as we view others in Christ-like ways, and what we mean by that is just with the eyes of Jesus, it changes how we see them and how we interact with them. You see, if we value someone in, in the way of Christ, it, it leads us to seeing them and interacting with them differently. The question is why? Why, why? why does that happen? And I think Paul helps us to understand kind of this process. Because he says in Romans 12, too, that we're not to be conformed to the world or the ways of the world any longer. Now, here's, here's what's happening. Okay? Uh, we are seeing a... We're seeing a, a, a explosion of, you know, lustful desire and intent in the world, but the church is not, sh- is not shaded from that any longer. That utilization of things like pornography and things are, are growing just as rapidly in the church as they are in the world. And so instead of heeding Paul's word to not be conformed any longer to the ways of the world, we just kind of gone that way. But Paul gives us the antidote. He gives us the remedy to that. He says, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. At the very heart of what Paul says is repent, right? Because the word repent just means to change your mind. This changing of our mind, this renewing of our mind is the beginning work of, of transformation in our life as we come to and confess Christ Jesus. And so really at the heart of this is that we've got to come to the point that we are saying no to the things that cause us to view people wrongly. And the way that we can say no to those things is because Christ Jesus has transformed our mind. A a transformed mind leads to transformed sight, like how we see people. And, And a transformed mind leads to a transformed way of interacting with people. No longer are, there, are they things to use for our pleasure, but they are a person who is made in God's image and for whom Christ died. The last thing I want to share with you this morning is just simply this. A life that is transformed by Jesus ascribes value to all. 
A life that is transformed by Jesus ascribes value to all. Uh, Again, let's just go back to the life of Jesus and the people that he hung out with. Remember, there's a story uh, where Jesus is brought a woman who is literally caught in the act of adultery. The very thing that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5, 27, they catch a woman who's caught in this and bring her to Jesus. Do you remember the story? And they all gather around her and Jesus in this most serious intense moment just decides to get out on one knee and and starts doodling in the dirt. You know, maybe he's drawing up a football play like we used to do as kids. I I don't know. What is Jesus doing? And, And he just, I think just from that, he doesn't even look up. He says, you who are without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. And very slowly you begin to hear these rocks hit the ground. And he looks up to the woman's face and he says, who is here to condemn you? No one. And neither do I. Your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. A life that is transformed by Jesus ascribes value to all. The people who were there around that woman ready to kill her were abiding by the letter of the law. Would they have been justified in what they did? Absolutely. But Jesus says it's not just the letter, it's the spirit. He saw value in this woman. And so seeing value in others is sometimes a hard time for us or gives us a hard time. And I think this because there's something that lies beneath the surface that a lot of times we don't like to think about. And that's because we have a hard time or we struggle valuing others because we struggle with valuing ourselves. It's hard for me to ascribe value to someone else when I don't see the value in my own life. And the reason that is, is because, yes, I know that God saves. I know that God forgives. I know that God's grace abounds. I know that Jesus is enough. But, but the reality for us is that we know who we are, and we know what we've done, and we know what we are capable of. Okay, but understand this. Not only do you know that, but God knows all that too. And he says, and I still give my son to die for you. You are valuable. You are valuable. You matter to God. You see, that life that comes to mind, that's who you were. It's not who you are in Christ Jesus. And I love that we read this week in Romans chapter six, because Paul goes off on that. He says, listen, you are dead to sin and the old way of life when you are in Christ. Therefore, be alive or live in Christ. And so think about it this way. I am valuable because Jesus died for someone like me. Think about that. Make that personal. I am valuable because Jesus died for someone like me. You have image, excuse me, you have value and worth because you are an image bearer. You are made in the image and likeness of God and you have value because Jesus Christ willingly gave his life so that you could enjoy forgiveness and grace. So here's what happens. As I begin to value myself, now I begin to look at other people differently. And I value myself differently, not because I think I deserve it, because I am one who is under God's grace. So when I see value in myself, it helps me to see the value in others. And so as I bear the image of God and kind of reconcile that in my mind, I begin to see other people as the image bearers of God. And, and, and as I see people as image bearers of God, now I see value in their lives. Listen, because Jesus died, not just for someone like me, 
but because Jesus also died for someone like them. They have value. They have worth. They are valuable. And so as a believer, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we've got to see them with the eyes of Jesus, that they are valuable. And so I must ascribe to their life value in the way that Jesus does. And if you notice, there's this reciprocal relationship between these two points of view, that, that as I am valued by God, I begin to value myself. And as I begin to value myself, I begin to value others. And here's, here's the amazing thing that happens. As I begin to value others, God puts me in places to help them see how valuable they are to the Lord. And I can begin to talk with them about this beautiful story of the gospel. The last thing that I want to share with you this morning just simply is, is this statement. A transformed life means transformed living. A transformed life means transformed living. So I'm going to say that my life has been radically transformed by Jesus Christ. That means that the way that I live that out must also be different. It must look differently than it did before. So as my mind is transformed, here's what happens. It causes me to live differently. As my mind is transformed, I see myself differently. I see myself through the eyes of Christ, and, and, and as my life is transformed, I see others differently. And because I see others differently, I treat them differently. I speak to them differently. I think about them differently. Listen, if we would just simply treat others the way that Jesus treated them, it's really simple. If we would just treat people the way that Jesus treated them, not only would we see a world of difference, but we would make a difference in the world. That's at the very heart of what Jesus is teaching us this morning out of Matthew 5, 27 through 30. That if we would just begin to see people with the value that Jesus has ascribed to him through his image and through his death and resurrection, that, that we would make a difference uh, in the world and we would see a world of difference. And so this morning, just as we close, I don't know where you are on this spectrum, okay? Maybe you're just, maybe you're at step one and you have never heard, you have, someone has never told you that you matter and that you are valuable. You need to hear that from your heavenly father this morning. There are others of you, you are, you are gripped in verses 27 and 28, in lust and adultery. And we sang this morning about how, how the victory of Christ Jesus is ours who believe. That is true for you. It doesn't matter how long you've been in it. God's grace is greater than it. And so maybe this morning is just the beginning of that healing process in your own, in your own soul and in your own family your own marriage and your own relationship with kids, your kids and relationship with those who are around you. you you've got to draw the line in the sand today, friend. If you're going to live transformed, then you've got to be transformed first. We can't just will ourselves to do it. Maybe others of you, there are people who come to mind and you go, I've never have thought about them as being valuable because they're the, one, they're the woman who gives me my pedicure or it's the kid who cuts my grass or it's the guy who picks up my garbage or the guy who goes through my garbage on bulk pickup day. I've never thought about them as valuable because I've never seen them as an image bearer for one for whom Christ died. See, as Jesus transforms us, he allows us, he removes the scales from our eyes and allows us to see people differently as image bearers. 
and for those, as those for whom Christ has died. You see, when we begin simply living the way that Jesus did, we see a world of difference, but it makes a tremendous difference in the world. 